Welcome back to the Inside Rain podcast and thanks so much for joining me again. On today's show we have our first groom and it is none other than John O'Regan. Both an international show jumping and eventing groom, John has worked with the likes of Kerry McCahill, Greg Broderick and now works with the ever successful event team Global Event Horses. Having been awarded Groom of the Year in 2019 for the Munster region, John talks about the realities of being a groom, the mental health stigma that still exists within the equestrian world today and the need for a groom's association. I would like to thank John for his openness and honesty and vulnerability and I really hope you enjoy. I am super excited to be joined by the wonderful John O'Regan. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you so much for your time, um, for giving me the time to come on and I suppose open everybody's eyes to life as a groom and life as a, as a high-level high, high groom. And yeah, tell us all how you got into horses and in grooming in particular. Uh, so I started riding when I was 10. Um, there's a riding school just outside Mallow where I'm from in Cork. Belonged to friends that, well, they were friends of my dad. And obviously I was the horse crazy kid that everyone knows in school that was running around pretending they were horse. So... <laughs> I was obviously at some point going to want to learn and my dad got onto riding school, got a lesson myself and two cousins of mine went and had our first lesson and I was 10 and then I actually did stop for a year because the two cousins I went with stopped and I was a bit like humming and hanging but going on my own. I think I was a bit of a, I was actually quite a nervous child about going on my own and I was very nervous of going on my own and it wasn't until I was maybe 12 that I started back again because a friend of mine then in school was actually buying her first pony and I started going back with her and then it kind of has gone on since then really. <laughs> There's no getting out of it anymore. Um, so I kind of didn't like I started grooming I suppose for, well, not really, I won't say for them but I started going to shows with them. Um, it's Glen Eyre Stables actually Dad's name, should I just probably mention that? Um, I started going to shows with them when I was probably, I would say like 14 or 15 maybe. And kind of maybe when I was like 16 or 17, I would say then I actually started like giving an actual hand and making use of myself and basically trying to learn and wanting to get to know how to do things. And I think that's another thing that people... I was actually only speaking to somebody about this today about like having to want to know how to do things like you know you can be shown how to do things all day long but if you don't actually want to know you're never going to learn um, and I feel like I was that kind of person I always wanted to learn I wanted to know everything like stupid things like putting on bits the right way around and bandaging and you know like these kind of things that are all second nature to you now they all came from somewhere um, and then when I was 18 and I left school because, to be honest with you, I had I fin- did finish school, but I had absolutely no interest in it. Um, <laughs> straight away, my thought was, I'm going to go work in yards. And when I left school, I went to actually just a hunting yard, another yard in Mallow by the race course. Um, Arthur Commons was the guy's name. And I was maybe like three mornings a week there just riding out hunters and muck out stables and all the rest of it. 
and from his place I went to Michael Ryan for two weeks in Bandon and just kind of rode a little bit and did a little bit. We went to a show and did a couple of things like that. Found myself actually got very homesick very quickly and like came home after two weeks. <laughs> um, no, I still be very good friends with the Ryans. I'm mad about them. Um, so then I actually started working full-time in the yard in Mallow in Genair and worked there for a, a year until I was 19. And I groomed that full year there, like shows on Sundays. I worked during the week and all the rest of it. Mm. And when I was 19, I went to Florida for three months. Um, to Dennis Coakley, who used to ride OB West Quality, if everyone seems to know the horse. Um, so I went to Dennis. Obviously, everyone loves the American lifestyle. It's lovely for the time you're there. Um, got to do my first couple of shows in America. Got to do my first couple of FEI shows. Um, <coughs> just a nice experience, really. Like, I think... For everyone at that age wanting, definitely, I know obviously when you're wanting to ride, you want to go to as many yards as possible and ride as many horses as possible. And I think the same applies for grooming. Like you're going to want to go and do it with as many people as you can. And even if that's mm. only for a week or two, you're always going to learn something. Like mm. I firmly believe you're never going to go somewhere and learn nothing. You know, like mm. it was great Absolutely. just to be there. Yeah, like it was great to be there for that little bit of time and you do learn a lot. You might think you might not think it at the time, but you learn a lot. And I think at that age, when you're that young, you learn how to deal with people as well, which obviously in the sport and in the industry, you have to be able to do as well. Yeah. Um, I think, and like I, I think from those experiences and from putting yourself out there quite young, it makes you like communicate better, I suppose, or, you know, you're a bit more confident in yourself. You get used to the people skills, like. Yeah, I think it's a big thing. Like, I know you always say, like, we spend 90% of our time with horses and not with people. But at the same time, you have to be able to communicate with owners or with your rider or, you know, like, from my point of view, I suppose, I have to be able to communicate well with who I'm working for. Because, Mm. obviously, you want to get your job done correctly and you don't want to be on the receiving end if you're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nobody wants to be there. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, and from Dennis, I came back, obviously, from America, and then I was back at home for maybe, like, two months, not even two months, I think only, like, from January to the end of February, and a friend of mine was riding in a yard in Sweden and asked me if I wanted to go there. So... It was kind of a riding and grooming job. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? We'll try that. Went there. Again, only spent two weeks there. Just, again, wasn't really for me. Like, there was nothing wrong with the place or really anything mm-hmm. like that. I got a lot of riding. I got a lot of ride, a lot of nice horses, which I suppose, as a groom, most people don't really have an interest. Not that they don't have an interest in riding, but a lot of grooms don't really ride, but I actually do. Yeah. So I still like to get to ride as much as I possibly can or ride as many nice horses as I can when I'm lucky enough to. Mm. And I was there for two weeks. Like, now it was February in Sweden, so I was like riding in the snow and like all these things that you'd never really get to do at home. So, again, lovely experience. Um, 
but at the same time I had come straight from Florida and then flown to Sweden so it was a very big culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> culture shock. Um, like it was wild. You literally come home from like 29 degrees in December to like minus 6 and minus 10. <laughs> oh my god. So cold. Now it's lovely at the same time. It's not I felt like it wasn't the same cold as we get at home. Like, obviously, like, kind of drier cold is a, diff- is a bit different. Yeah. Um, and then when I came home from there, I went back to my original place again that I learned to ride. And I worked there for four more years. And same thing, got to go to loads of shows, got to do a load of groups. And bought my first horse when I was with them. I bought him in... I actually remember what year it was now, to be honest with you. Um, I think like 2015, maybe. And I produced him away until he was like seven or eight. And so after four years there, I got an offer in Castle Ford and Longford if I wanted to go riding there. They were looking for a flat rider, and I knew their rider there at the time, Jamie Landers. And... So I said that I would at least go on a two-week trial and see what I thought of it and fell in love with the place straight away. Got to ride some lovely horses, got to bring my horse up with me, got to take a lot of their young horses to training shows, I got to take my horse to shows, I got to groom at nice shows, was riding every day in the most beautiful big castle estate. <laughs> like, wow. You couldn't really complain. And had like, that was 2018 actually, it was 2018. And I was there from April to September and had a savage, savage time for those couple of months and got to do kind of my first Dublin qualifiers as a groom and all those kind of things that I suppose when you're a groom in Ireland are very big things, you know, like I suppose going to Dublin, now I was never lucky enough to actually get there, but <laughs> to be able to groom, you know, to get to Dublin or do Dublin qualifiers is kind of your biggest thing at home. Yeah, and yeah. When I came home from there, I actually sold my horse then. So I was kind of like, if I was going to stay traveling and grooming, I kind of decided that I couldn't have him. It wouldn't be fair. Like he was only, I think a seven-year-old at the time maybe. And I decided that I needed to sell him because the idea, you always buy one and you think I've got to produce it and sell it in a year. And sure, that never happens when you only have one. And Never happened. No, I kept him for like nearly four years <laughs> <laughs> and couldn't part with him. And I did sell him and I thought him to the nicest girl who has him and she's actually evented him and she's showed him to him and done everything and had the best time with him. And still regularly I keep, like, keep up to date with him and she texts me and lets me know he's going and it's all very nice to see as somebody who isn't actually a producer of horses it's nice to see one that you did produce going on, you know, when it's not actually your job. Yeah, um, yeah. So when I came home then, yeah, I sold him. <clears throat> and what was my next thing? Then I went to Portugal to Villamora for one of those, um, like, winter tours. Mm. Um, did a tour there with Greg Broderick and one of the girls that was training with him at the time, Carrie McCahill. And... Again, lovely bunch of horses, lovely people, six weeks in the sun. (laughs) (laughs) I think, like, as a groom or as a person who works in horses, it's 
very funny how you don't appreciate those things. You know, getting to work in the sun and getting to do what you like doing, you don't appreciate it. But I'm like, there's so many people who never get to experience those kind of things from their, like, in general, I suppose, really, but let alone from their job. Like, yeah. you, get to, you, know, you get to do so much traveling, you get to see so many things and meet new people. And I think we're actually very, very lucky as horse people or people in the sport to get to do that. Yeah. Um, again, got to do some lovely three and four star classes, groom four, three and four star classes with the nicest bunch of horses. Kerry was lovely. I got on well with Greg, and it was all just a really nice experience, really, to be honest. Yeah. And when I came home then, that's when I started working for Global, and that's how that started. <laughs> and that's when show jumping ended and eventing started. <laughs> Um, wow, that sounds like that is just so incredible to hear, you know, the the various different places that you've been to, you know, the, the vast amount of experience that you've got. And what I really yeah. loved about um, that was when you had said earlier on that you always had a want to know how things are done. And you really hit the nail on the head there, John, with sometimes I don't think the want is there all that much anymore you know the the want to know the why behind things are done and I think it's kind of we could go down a rabbit hole of it really in so many yeah. different areas of the horses but I really love how you wanted to do it and I suppose that want then led you to going to all of these incredible places absolutely like if you don't want it enough and if you don't want to educate yourself enough you're never going to get the opportunity to go to those places and to deal with, like, I've been very lucky, I suppose, in that I've always had, like, a good review from the previous person. So I've never had somebody negatively speaking about me. From For that reason that I've always wanted to do better, even if you make a mistake, everybody does. But yeah. it's, it's the want to do better and the want to rectify that. You know, mm. like, a lot of people will sail through doing things wrong and they won't care. And that is something that, like, deeply bothers me. Because I'm like, if you're going to yeah. do something, then do it right. Mm. And I think, especially when you're dealing, like, whether you're dealing with, like, a miniature pony or the most expensive sport horse, you should want to do right by them and do things correct for them because they rely yeah. on us. You know, yeah. like, we, whether you're a rider or a groom or an owner or you're just a kid who has this dream of wanting to do horses, you have to want for their um like what's what's the word like you want you have to want for their well being over yours basically yes and I'm not saying that you don't look after yourself as well but you have to want for them to be in the best possible shape they can be because if you are going to go into the grooming route that is your job your job is to make sure that they are at their best medically yeah. in their brain you know you want them to know that they're you want to know basically sending your horse to the ring that it's going to do its best job mm. once your rider does their job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's kind of having, um, I suppose, you, you know that you've done everything you can and then you're passing it over to the rider that they can do everything they can then and hopefully everything goes well that you get the results that you want. You know what I mean? And I exactly. think... Like, look one second. That, no, you, you go... <laughs> I was just going to say, like, it's, you know, you always go on about it being a team effort. And 
like there's no true like you do all of your job and then it's the best of your ability that you can pass it on to the next person and then mm. when they do their job then yeah if you're lucky enough you get your results and that's I suppose at the end of the day from a competition point of view that is what you need to do like you need to achieve results and if you're in the selling business which 90% of yards are your selling relies on your competition yeah. you know and if your competition isn't going well then you're not going to be able to sell you know so i think like it's motive that's more that's motivation to do it better to sell them but you have to do it well if you want to make your business out of it yeah yeah no i i i 100% agree and i think it um I think it's something that, and this is why I wanted to get you on, is to highlight the the intense responsibilities that you have as a groom. You know what I mean? And it's not just patting them up and getting them done and off you go. You know what I mean? That there is actually a lot on a groom's plate that I don't think a lot of people realise. You know, and that the want to do everything that you have to do needs to be correct but there's also a lot to do to get right you know what I mean and I would love for you to kind of open up the vast the vast responsibility that you do have you know what I mean I mean you're basically it's like having a giant baby (laughs) you're (laughs) completely responsible for everything that they do you're responsible for them eating them drinking if they feel down, you're responsible for the medication. If they, even just like, you know, when you're with a particular group of horses for a long time, you obviously start to know them and you start to know when they don't look right. Mm. And I think that's such an intuitive thing. That's not a learned thing. You either have that or you don't. Like mm. you can't learn to spot when a horse looks colicky. Or, I know obviously you can, you, you can learn the signs, but the intuition in yourself of knowing that horse doesn't look right this morning or even things like feeling their legs. Like, you know, you want to feel their legs every day and you want to know every normal lump, bump, not that horses have lumps and bumps, would you prefer they didn't? But, <laughs> you know, you want, to, you want to know every bit of them. Like, so that if anything is different, that you are the first person to notice it. Because, again, if you're not the first person to notice it, then you again lead yourself down to being on the receiving end of it. <laughs> like yeah. You have to be, you have to see these things and you have to know them well enough to know when they're not right. And I think mm. that it is a very intuitive thing to have and not everyone has that. Um, and I suppose, yeah, when you go back to like the responsibility of having them, like, like I say, you're responsible for everything they do. And especially, especially when you're away at a big show because you don't have turnout, you don't have these, like everyday necessities that you have at home you kind of have to be responsible for making sure that they're still okay in their brain and that they're still entertained enough because obviously it can get quite monotonous for them when they're stable at a show and they're just in the stable for a lot of the day of course it gets boring you know mm-hmm. like you need to you know like i would see obviously people hand walk them and you graze them and like so you could take them out 10 times a day just making sure that they're okay and I think, like, again, like, you and you have been with a group of horses for a while, like, as I have been with the boys now for nearly two and a half years, I think. Yeah, like, two and a half years I've been with the boys. Um, 
those horses that I've had since day one are my kids. Like, those are my children. And I want to know that when I take them away, that everything they do is done well. And I want to know that I have done my best for them when they go away. Like, my end game, I know everyone wants to go to a show and get results, but my end game of the end of any international is getting my horses home sound and getting them home safely. You know, yeah. your competition your competition ends, but and your rider will fly home, or like I'm lucky enough that like Brian often will be driving the truck, so Brian will come with me, or you know I'm lucky enough that way, I suppose, at Ireland in Ireland at least, or in Ireland and England that I'll I'll have somebody with me usually who is a second set of eyes. But if you're coming home from somewhere like I've often like we've come home from Holland, which is a good like a three or three day trip, I suppose, like for for that whole trip you're you're on your own. And you have to be confident in your care and your knowledge of what you're doing with them to get them home safely, obviously, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is something that I think that you can't really learn. Like, it's something that people have or they don't. And, like, you're, we're lucky enough, I suppose, that anyone who kind of is raised with horses or has started riding young, it kind of does become second nature to you. You do become like that, you know? It's it's kind of hard not to be when you're around them all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, um, you know, it, it with the amount of responsibilities that you have, I suppose it's inevitable that you grooms, you know, have a crazy work hours, you know. And how do you manage, I suppose, with, the hours that you do week in, week out, traveling abroad and all of those things, how do you manage to stay, I suppose, on top of your game so you can give the best to your horses and they can give the best to the riders? To be honest, it's probably the thing that everyone neglects because your thought is purely on the horses. (laughs) Um, I know everyone wants to say that they're doing loads for themselves and they're looking after their own health and they're doing this, that, the other thing, but... 90% 90% of us aren't. Like, now everyone is functioning and everyone is, you know, obviously you're relatively healthy that you couldn't be doing what you're doing if you weren't. And I suppose if you're feeling a bit down, you go to doctors or, you know, you do whatever you need to do. Or if you're sore, you go to your physio. But at the end of the day, I don't think any groom really fully, not even any groom, I think any person in horses doesn't fully look after themselves how they should. You know, I like I speak to people outside of horses a lot. Like a lot of my friends actually don't ride, so a lot of, I have a lot of friends who have no idea why I do what I do <laughs> and can't understand it at all, and it makes no sense to them. And I might, you know, I might have a sore back someday, or I might just feel a bit run down someday, and they're like, "Oh, well, you can, you know, you can take a day off, and you you'll be feel better." And I'm like, "Oh, well, I can't take a day off because I have to go to a show that day," or <laughs> like, you don't like. You look after yourself as best you can, but it is something that everybody, I suppose, let slip. And I think it's not just a groom thing, it's in everybody who does horses. Like, nobody looks after themselves as well as they look after their horses. Yeah. Um, oh, I, now, I, like, I definitely don't. Anyway, I know about anyone else, but I definitely don't. <laughs> oh, no, I I agree. And I think I love um, I love your honesty in saying that, you know, it's, it is definitely something anybody that's into the horses that that do neglect and I think, you know, there is definitely room for 
opening a little bit of awareness that everybody does do it, you know what I mean? And if we probably feel less guilty then and we're probably going to be a little bit easier on ourselves, you know what I mean? But yeah. with that, and we'll probably get into it, you know, in terms of like um, qualifications for grooming and even just um, having, I suppose, a grooming body here in Ireland. Do you think yeah. that there's room for something like that here and that there should be a little bit more regulation in terms of allowing grooms that extra day or day or two to, to, to recover? Do you know what I mean? I absolutely think that there needs to be the same as they have in England. Like in England, there's a grooms association. Now, I obviously, to be honest with you, I don't know how much they do or what they actually, like to be honest, I actually should have, like inform myself a bit more on it before I actually came on but I don't know how much they do but nevertheless they have some form of association that you can register yourself with and I know you can get insurance for yourself through them like if you're freelancing you can get insurance for yourself through them and all these kind of things that are necessary because I suppose in horses your groom is somebody who everyone just kind of has very few people think of it as a career, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. everybody has a groom, but I don't know how many people see it as your actual lifelong career. Like I've met grooms at shows who've been grooming their whole lives and they're not going to have a pension and they're not going to have these things that normal career, like career paths would. Yes. And I think you're just a little bit, and again, it goes for all jobs in horses, really. You're just a little bit kind of on the outside of the, like, what people would call, like, in quotation kind of things, like the professional world. I agree. You're, you're not kind of seen as, if I worked in Pfizer, I would, have a, I would have a pension scheme, and I would have all these things that are paid into, and I would have health insurance, I would have all these different things through the company yeah. that... Nobody, and it's, again, it's not just grooms, nobody in horses really has that. You know, mm-hmm. unless, like, every, I presume, obviously, people have personal liability and, you know, the jobs you work in will have, like, cover for their yard and things, but very few people have, like, those kind of covers on themselves, I think, yeah. doing horses. And it's something that I think needs to be brought in because, again, if you're, especially if you're a freelance groom, you have nothing. If you were to get hurt, your total income is gone. Like, you have no way of, you know, you don't have anyone who's paying to keep you going while you're out, other than yeah. yourself. You yeah. know, I suppose you're lucky if you're grooming for a company. Like, yeah. I would be quite lucky that I've been grooming for the same company for quite, like, when I say company, I mean yard, really. But I've been grooming <laughs> for the same people for en- enough of time that if I was to get hurt, I would be fairly confident knowing that I, you know, I wouldn't be losing my job and I wouldn't be going hungry really. But yeah. a lot of freelance people don't have that reassurance. And I think yeah. there's a lot more people freelance grooming than there is in a yard for like two or three years or four years or five years. Like it doesn't seem to be a, such a common thing that grooms, especially stay in yards. You know, there's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of moving around and I don't know people do that because again they want to travel and go to different places and meet different people but there's a very high turnover of grooms in yards a lot more so than riders I think anyway 
Yeah, that's so... I think because riders in yards kind of have the promise of, you know, if you're going into a place riding, you're going to have the promise of, you know, you'd have these two nice six-year-olds or that nice seven-year-old, or you kind of have something to hold on for. But if you're grooming and you've kind of gotten to the top level, it can become a bit like glass ceiling, and you're a bit like, where am I going next? And I think people then move around because they want to just go to, you know, I haven't been to Dubai before. I want to go see a show in Dubai or, you know, these kind of things. Hmm. I think for people who are riding, there's a bit more to hold you on. Whereas when you're grooming, it can get a bit, I put a glass ceiling, like, what do I do now? Like, if you've been to an Olympics or you've been to a European Championships or you've kind of been at the very top level, I think, especially as you're getting older too, and like, you know, I suppose people start thinking about like kids or buying a house or these kind of things that are like, you know, very adult life choices. Um, <laughs> people who are grooming kind of start to worry, I suppose, about us. Because I, mm-hmm. like, I know in myself, it's something that I think about a lot where I'm like, I'm 27 this year. And I'm like, when do I plan on buying a house or, you know, these kind of like settling down, I suppose, as such. And where would I want to settle down and these kind of things. Yeah. And I think it happens a bit to grooms because you get to a level and you get up to that top level. And now there's a lot of grooms, I suppose, who've stayed with it. Like, you know, you look at like um, Nick Skelton's groom and he's been with him for like 30 odd years. And some people are quite happy to be in that situation. But I think it can be hard to see the future when you're moving around so much. Because that's like your job essentially is to travel. So it, it can be quite hard to see the future beyond kind of what now, you know, how is this, how can you be paying for a house and still doing all this traveling? Like, what would be the point in having a house if you're never going to yeah. be there? <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. Um, I think it's something that, it's definitely something I think a lot about anyway. And it's not that I would be like anymore because of it, but it is something that you kind of find yourself thinking about a little bit as you get a little bit older doing this. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that, um, I think if grooms had a little bit more security like that in terms of pension or even um, uh, uh, paid sick days or whatever, you know, I think it would take away that bit of a stress because you do, like you do pass a point, I suppose, in your 20s where you do start to think down the future. And, you know, I, I... you wonder the amount of grooms that have, I suppose, given up doing what they love because they need to settle for the future pension or, you know, be able to get a mortgage yeah, say, and yeah. stuff like that. And I think there definitely is an opening for <clears throat> more support in the grooms so that you're not kind of um, wondering about questions and then not having the answers for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think it's even it's just a start. To have a groom's association in Ireland, I think it's a start. And it's something that, I, as you say, there's definitely room for it. And I think it's something that, like, it needs to happen. Like, if you look around at the moment, like, show jumping and eventing, and, no, I wouldn't be as versed on the dressage world, really. But there's so many grooms at the top level for so many different countries who are Irish. There's so many Irish grooms. And I'm like not a single one of them has any support from kind of 
the Irish contingency will say. You know, yeah. they have support from their like respective yards, but there is no Irish grooms association, which I find funny considering there are so many Irish grooms. Mm. You know, like if the like if there can be a British association, I don't understand why there couldn't be the same thing over here. And like I said, I'm not sure how much the British association actually offers you, but it's still a body that you can mm. go to. And like you say, like with questions and things even, or there's somebody that you can ring at the end of the phone and ask a question to. Like even that is something that's helpful to people. Yeah. When it comes to those kind of things, as you say, like when you're thinking of settling down or you think of your mortgage or a pension or these things, when you're like, you have, you do have to think beyond what you're doing right now and mm. 10 years down the line or 20 years down the t- line or when you retire and you have to think about being able to survive basically when you don't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely think, um, <clears throat> I definitely think the, the, there is an opening for it and hopefully you know by us having this conversation because I yeah. do I remember like us when we when I was getting not in contact with you that this was one of the things that we wanted to cover and hopefully you know this is the start of potentially something that you know either a bundle of grooms get together and create or you know um exactly yeah it's just it's, it's a starting point because I think you know, like I was saying to you, the grooms are the the glue that hold it all together. You know what I mean? And even I think Definitely. in terms of, um, and you can have your input in this in terms of like qualifications and awards and stuff. I think there needs to be more recognition as well as yeah. support. Would you agree? Absolutely. Like, now I was lucky enough in the first year that I was eventing grooming, I won the groom of the year for the Munster region, and lovely thing to win like it's up in my bedroom on my window so like something I'm very very proud of that I achieved in one season at like up to quite a high level like we did a Nations Cup final in Buccalo in Holland and I'm very proud that I have that but at the same time that essentially doesn't mean a whole lot like it means a lot to me but there's nothing else behind us, if you get me. Like, it is yeah. recognition, but nothing comes with us, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the knowledge that you were voted for, and that's a really nice feeling, obviously, that people think that you were that, like, you were good enough to be the kind of groom of the year, which, as I say, I am very proud of, and I, like, I still am very proud of it, and I think it's something I'll always be proud of. But when there isn't, like, as I say, there isn't an association or there isn't anybody offering any support to grooms, that doesn't go that far for people. Yeah. In, as, uh, like, as you say, even in, like, sick days and all the other things you give up as a person to be a groom. You know, like, mm-hmm. people don't want to talk about all of the other things you miss in your life to go to shows. And it's not that I... It's not that I would give out about missing other things, but there are a lot of like personal, you know, family related things that you miss when you're going to all these big shows and you it's obviously a conscious decision you make when you start doing it and like I don't regret any of the shows I've been to or, you know, like there have been things I've missed that I've maybe felt I shouldn't have missed, but I don't regret them either because at that time it was what I wanted to do. Yeah, but I do think again as you get older and like my sister had a baby last year and 
I start to think a little bit now, like I'm her godfather, and I'm like, oh, there's things that I'm probably going to end up missing that I shouldn't miss. I think yeah. that kind of gets on your head a little bit too, where you feel like I shouldn't have missed that, or, you know, like, silly thing, like we, we were eventing on Easter Sunday, and I wasn't there for her first Easter. But I'm like, oh, well, that should have been something I should have been there for. But I think, again, it comes back to the want to do what you're doing, and it's the passion you have for the horses and for the sport and in a way it is you know you don't want to let people down you don't want to let your rider down you don't want to let your teammates down you want everything to run as well as it can and if that means you being there to miss something else then that is the price you pay to do it a little bit and like it's the Mm -hmm. price that I'm willing to pay and I have always been willing to pay but it is something that not everyone I suppose is willing to pay and I think it is something that people maybe getting into the job needs again like I like I said to you I want to be totally honest about what my feelings towards these things like I'm not going to sugarcoat the whole grooming world because there's a lot of it that isn't very nice but there's that is so good Mm. that you know you deal with those things because of how good it can be and like there's no better feeling than being at a show like a big international and being in the top six there's like for me at least as a groom your rider there's no better feeling than it all coming together and it working on a day you know and that those are the moments that you give up those other little things for yeah you know and i think yes in a way i suppose you should be there for those little family things like those family moments of course you should be there for them too but you also have to live your life for what you want to do a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to be a bit selfish every so often. And if you want to go to that show, then you shouldn't feel bad for going to the show. Because, again, people who aren't in the sport probably don't get it. Yeah. You know, when, you miss the, when you miss those things, they don't get why you're missing it or why it means so much to you to not be there. Um, and I think that people that are made feel guilty by people outside of the sport for missing things like that. You know, you already feel your own little bit of guilt, or I do at least. And I think people then can make it a little bit worse for you. Because yes. And how much it meant to you to be at a show as well. And you kind of have to pick between the two, basically. And I yeah. think, especially, especially with, a, with an international, I think, with a national show, you can afford to miss them a little bit here or there if you have other things to do, of course. But like with a big international like I said to you, like your main aim is for everything to be as good as it can be, for your horses to be there in good health and ready to run. And if that means you missing something at home, then for me, that's the price I'm willing to pay to be there, you know? Yeah, and I think um, there's so many good nuggets in, in there, John, and that the, the I suppose it's being aware of the sacrifices that grooms and horse people like horse riders anything to do with horses have to make in general and I think it's the, creating the awareness a little bit more that you know we do give up a lot to to do what we 
like you say, we already suffer our own little bit of guilt, but nobody needs to put it back onto us anymore. And no. within terms of being selfish, you know, like I think, I think we we have we do have to be selfish in at times, whether it is that we want to go to a show, but also in terms of if we want a day off. You know what I mean? Um, oh, definitely, I th- definitely. Yeah. I think you know we have to we have to look after ourselves a lot more you know and i i do i think that will really resonate with with a lot of people do you know what i mean yeah no like i said to you again i wanted to bring up the kind of topic of like everyone talks about like mental health in different areas of life and in different sports and different jobs and just in general and i think it's it's something that's stigmatized in general but i think in the horse world, it's something that's stigmatized an awful lot. You know, there's very much this attitude of you need to get on with it and you need to get up and you need to get this done and you're responsible for this and you're responsible for that. And if you don't do it, then it's not done. And I think then people like, okay, it's one thing to neglect yourself physically a little bit. Like we all are guilty of that, obviously, but to neglect your own brain is, in my opinion, the worst thing you can do to yourself because then no matter what you do, you're not mentally capable of doing your job. Because as I said, your job as a groom, as a rider, as any, again, any kind of horse person, your job is very intense and it is very full on. And I don't want to make this like a very deep, dark kind of thing about the world of horses, because it's not, obviously, like we all do it because we love it. But it definitely can get dark and it can be a lonely place for people in horses. And I think it needs to be something that, like, as you say, taking a day off, if you need an extra day off for yourself, you shouldn't be afraid to ask for that day off. If you, if you need that one extra day to make yourself feel better, to come back stronger the third day, then you should take that day. And I think not enough people think like that. People get into this thought process that they have to be there all the time and that the place will fall down around without them. And I'm like, it'll fall down much quicker if you're not ready to be there, if you yeah. get me. I think yeah. it, it'll go south a lot quicker if you're not prepared <laughs> to do your job, basically, and if you're not prepared mentally to do your job, then it's going to go south a lot faster than if you take one extra day off. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it's something I have struggled with a lot. Like, my anxiety at shows goes absolutely through the roof. <laughs> like, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm like that and they can come near me and I'm very much on my own and anyone really around the, like especially around the eventing scene because I've been there now like I presume like you know the last two and a half years I have obviously just been eventing and I've made a lot of great friends and I'm mad about them but a lot of them know me now obviously and they know the kind of times of the day to leave me to me <laughs> and they know when I need to be in my zone and you know, when you're kind of just, you need to be on your own. And that happens for everyone. Um, and I think, again, it's something that people don't think about enough and people don't have enough, I won't say sympathy towards it, that's the wrong word, but people aren't sympathetic to what other people are going through. You know, if you're having a bad day at a show for a personal reason, people can kind of take that as, oh, well, you know, the what's gone wrong with the horse or what's going wrong with something else you know, related to the show. And it could be something totally, totally different. Like it yeah. might be a totally personal issue, 
but it does affect everything really it affects how the day goes it affects how you're feeling obviously and your mood affects how your rider is and you know like again i'm very lucky that like the boys know me like chris and brian both know me very well and they kind of know the kind of things i like to be left alone doing and they know the things that i need help doing and my routine is very set in stone and it has been with every yard i've worked in like i've, I've always been the same i'm very much like to do things on my own and that's not because i think people won't do it as well or people won't do it right but it's just it's nice to know you know if you've done something that goes wrong then you were the one who did it you can take mm. responsibility for it you know i don't like passing the responsibility to somebody else and then somebody else having to take the blame of something you know if a, a rain breaks or a surplus or breaks or you know you were the one yeah. who put them on and you know you you take responsibility for it i I prefer to have that on myself, in a way, because then there's no kind of, there's no getting, like, wires crossed between people, because you just, yeah. you know you, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, I really appreciate, and, you know, your your openness and your vulnerability that you're bringing to the podcast with, in terms of the mental health issues, and it was one, it was one thing that I wanted this podcast to kind of be about that to break down that stigma that is definitely still very there and I think that it's you know it's you're so self-aware which is so I suppose it's it's kind of you're kind of a step ahead that you're so self-aware but also I can appreciate the fact of how supportive Brian and Chris are that they know you so well that they know when to when when to kind of I suppose, ask, ask you and, and, you know, that you have a flow on the yard. And do you think with the grooms kind of association as well, that there could be an opening as well as the qualifications, as well as the support, that there could be more um, kind of recognition, not recognition, but um, I suppose more support there in terms of like the mental health side of things as well? I do. Yeah, I do think so. Like, like as I was saying to you earlier, there's for the high performance teams, they speak to a sports psychologist, and they have all these resources that obviously they need. And I would never say that they don't, because when you're performing at that level, of course you need these things, like these resources that they are given. And I'm all for it. Like I, I love it. But I do think that the grooms who are with those riders are also in the same high-pressure environment. They're in the same boat as those riders. Now, they're not the ones getting up in front of a couple of thousand people having to jump around and jump clear. Like, mm-hmm. I fully understand that. But every anxiety that they feel going in the ring, like, every groom that's with them is standing outside that ring with the very same feeling. Yeah. And they're, like, it's you're not given the same support in that sense. Like, as a groom, like, we don't get... Now, I know it comes down to, obviously, it comes down to budget and things, too, and you have to budget these things in when you're given your budget for the year and all the rest of it. But the high-performance grooms, I feel, anyway, like, in my opinion, I feel like it should be something that you should at least be offered to speak to a sports psychologist. And I think there's no harm in learning how to deal with your nerves and learning how to deal with that anxiety and just learning how, like, if it goes wrong, basically, that people don't go into the depths of depression, you know, that people 
can deal with that and come out the other side of it. Because I think at the moment, yes, it is very focused on the riders and the riders' kind of mental well-being at a show. But I think that the grooms go through the very same feelings. Yeah. And like, like there's no, there's no groom at that level that you pass who is just like, oh, sure, it's fine. Like nobody has that kind of thought process. Everyone is thinking that they want it just as bad as the rider does. They want yeah. to do well. They want the horse's well-being just as much as the rider does. But the rider gets the health because they have to go in the ring, but the groom doesn't. And I think that it actually should be something that should be at least discussed at some level. And again, yeah, if there was an association, again, it could be something that you would bring up and you could bring even to HSI and discuss it with HSI for the kind of like the high performance grooms that they at least, when they're going to a Europeans or the Olympics or they're going to a WEG or any big championship that you would get some kind of help as well. Yeah. Because I think it can be very stressful. Like, obviously, we're on the run-up to Tokyo and everyone is so excited and all the rest of it, and that's all wonderful. But there is also a side of, obviously, the pressure to do well out there. There's the pressure for the grooms of getting the horses there, which, for me, at least, anyway, I'm totally panicked about. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to remember all of that. Like, as much excitement as there is, there's a lot of anxiety behind it too. And yeah. again, like I said, it goes for everyone. It goes for the full support staff. It goes for everyone at home in the yard. Like we're very lucky. We have such a good team at home. Like all good friends of mine who like we're very, like I don't know if it's just us or if every has them. Like we all get on exceptionally well. You know, we all go out together. We drink together. We do things after work together. And we're very, very lucky that we all gel together very well. Mm. But I think that, again, doesn't happen in every yard. Like, not every yard is so lucky. There's a lot of yards where it doesn't, like, people don't get on, and, like, it's a very known thing that yards are can be very hard to work in if you don't get on with somebody. Yeah. So I can imagine then for other people who are getting ready, you know, if you're getting ready for these kind of high-pressure situations with somebody who you maybe don't get on with so well, it's even harder again because your communication with people isn't as good if you don't get on as well. Whereas, like, yeah. as I say, we're very lucky that we all communicate very well and we're all working towards the same goal. And it's, and it's the same goes for every national show you go to. If you're only going on Sunday to Krakora or to Ballandennis where you're going to just a national show, everyone is still on the same page of wanting everything to go well. You know, if we yeah. all want each other to do well. We want each other to be okay. And I think not everyone is so lucky sometimes. But I do think, like I say, like I feel like I'm very lucky with the team. Uh, on the run-up, like for me, it's my first championship. If, like if we are lucky enough to get to Tokyo, it'll be my first championship, either eventing or show jumping. And I have huge excitement and like it's, it's the pinnacle, it would be the pinnacle of my career to get yeah. to the Olympics. And, but there is a lot of stress attached to that as well. So I do think that it would be helpful for the grooms just to have somebody to talk to and just voice their opinions and voice their stresses and their anxieties and just to have somebody to talk to. You know, it's invaluable because, again, sometimes your friends and your family don't fully understand us. So it is nice to deal with somebody maybe who, because they're dealing with it, like, obviously the 
sports psychologist who deals with the like the team obviously understands the whole horse game as well, which a lot of people you go to don't. Like even you know you go to sometimes you go to a physio and you have a pain in your back from mucking out and they try to like can you bring the wheelbarrow around the stable with you? Like there's some things you can't do with horses that other people don't get. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. things like that. But I think if they're already kind of doing the equine team then they kind of already understand the stress that it caused from doing it and the pressure of it yeah 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 with what you said there john about um the grooms going well nearly the same pressure as what the riders do i do think there definitely is an opening for you know, the, the psychology aspect to, to, to help the grooms. And hopefully, like I was saying with this conversation, at least open open the conversation for these things to be improved. And like we were saying, the talk about it, nothing's going to get done. You know what I mean? But moving on, moving on just to, I suppose, a little bit more about your job. What would your favourite part of the job and probably least favourite part of the job would be? My favourite part of the job, um, I know people kind of tend to see platting as a chore, but I actually really, really enjoy it. (laughs) I think for me, I put in headphones or I turn music on at the stables and you go into, for those 20 or 25 minutes, you're just alone and you're alone with your horse and it sounds like a total like pony club kid fantasy, but you're just there and you're with them and it's not like generally because you're not platting 10 minutes before you go to the ring it's not stressful so you're just kind of having a nice morning platting your horses for me it's the nicest part like I quite like for me like okay obviously as a person my favorite part of what say disciplines would be the show jumping but from a getting ready point of view I love getting ready for dressage because I think it's so much easier going and everyone's a bit more relaxed about it and obviously it's still high pressure you know you want to do well blah blah but there there is not as much stress on a groom I think warming up for the dressage because you're not running in and out of the ring building fences and if it's cross country you're not tearing around looking for ice and water and all the rest of it yeah you're just you're able to go down watch a lot of nice horses warming up at least you're able to watch your horse you're going to be with your rider and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be having some conversation about how it looks or how it's going. And generally, if you're at a big show, you're going to have your team kind of trainer, like dressage trainer will be there. And like, I'm very lucky. Again, I get on very well with the team trainer. Is Tracy Robinson is the Irish um, dressage trainer and I get on very well with her. We all get on with her. She's such a nice lady. And you can kind of have a conversation because obviously at the moment with COVID and things, the trainers aren't seeing the horses often. So nine times out of 10, your grooms are the people on the ground who are seeing the horses and they're going to know nearly as much as the rider, like what the rider feels nearly. And like, again, I'm lucky that I get to ride the horses a bit myself at home. So again, I'm lucky again that I get to ride them and I know what they're feeling like. Mm. I think it's nice then when you go to a show and you meet the trainer that you can kind of discuss with them what's been going on at home, how they're going, how they're feeling. And just, I think it gives your trainer a bit of an insight into how they're going to warm you up on that particular morning. And it's not, like, I think 
coaching with some people can be very much this is how I do it I do it like this for every horse and yeah. obviously that in my opinion can't work because not everyone rides the same not everyone not every horse goes the same so I think your your own knowledge of your horse and your groom's knowledge of the horse and how it goes is invalu- invaluable at the moment at least with COVID to your trainer because they need to know how it's been feeling if it's been sore going a certain way or if it's a bit tense going a certain way or I think that's all invaluable. Like that's my favorite part, kind of I suppose, is the interaction mm. with you know when you're doing your kind of for me anyway, it's the dressage. I think because it's a bit more personal is actually the word I use. I think when you get to the show jumping, it's well I suppose your cross country is first, and obviously that's very high stress. And then when you get to your show jumping, it's still quite high stress because it's the end of the show and you're trying to do well and you're trying to jump clear and it's a bit more like it's a g'd up feeling in the warm-up but the dressage yeah. warm-up isn't like that the dressage warm-up is really mellow and easy and nice and i think it's a, like for me it's my it's my favorite kind of part of the job is the dressage warm-up and my favorite thing to do is platting. <laughs> um my least favorite thing is after cross country or cross, well cross country not because i don't like cross country but as an like there's always the worry, and it's in every rider's head too, there's always the worry of your horse getting hurt. Like, nobody wants to admit that horses get hurt doing cross-country, but unfortunately, sometimes they do. And mm-hmm. nobody ever wants to be the person who is there on the Saturday evening before shows or before trot-up, who's trying really, really, really hard to make sure that your horse is okay. And, you know, you're going through all your icing and all these things that, and I suppose, like, a cross-country is so straining on their body in general. Like, they get sore and they get tired and, you know, you want to know that they're drinking enough and there's so much, for me at least anyway, like, again, I presume, I think, like, it's like this for most grooms. Like, obviously, the older, the more often you do it, it probably does get a bit easier, but I get very nervous about cross-country in general because I would never want Brian to get hurt or fall off. I would never want the horses to get hurt. So I think like for those, especially like, like at a long, like if they're like a four star long and it's like nearly 10 minutes or 11 minutes or whatever it is galloping cross country for those 10 or 11 minutes, like I'm in the horrors. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. <laughs> like, it probably I'm, feels like the longest 10 or 11 minutes oh, of your life. It is, it's literally the longest 10 minutes of your life. And then when you finally see them walking back in, you're like, oh, thank Jesus. <laughs> like That's when you know, that's when you relax. And mm. and not even relax because it's still there's still a lot to do after that. But you know that they're at least home safely. Mm. You know, like and then your job begins of obviously you get out your water whole hullabaloo of getting them cooled down and checking their heart rate and there's so much to do with cross country, I think that's very high stress. But I think for the riders it probably for most people is the most fun part, obviously, because people just love to gallop cross country. Yeah. But for me as a groom, at least, it's and I, again, I think it go, it does go for everyone as a groom after cross country is the hardest time of the show mm. because you want to know you want to make sure that they're sound and you want to make sure that they're healthy. And like I said, you don't ever want anyone to fall off or get hurt or you know do any kind of damage to themselves. So like, it's and I suppose having been a show jumping groom first. It was a massive change of scenery for me the first couple of times. 
definitely yeah. at the international level like obviously the national shows obviously they're not running for as long so it's not as high pressure but the first internationals that I did with the cross country I was kind of like what is happening <laughs> like there's so much going on <laughs> like, you know like I was very lucky like when I started grooming for Brian and for Global um, Ethan Legas was working for them and like this girl made this like the change from show jumping to eventing for me seamless. She made everything so much easier for me just because she was so honest. Like she knew exactly what needed to be done at exactly what minute of the day at all times. And she made that change over to eventing for me so easy. Because like my general turnout and things was never an issue. Like what my only thing I suppose for me that was very different for going eventing was obviously like just your after cross country kind of schedule and regime and what's normal for the mm. horses I suppose. and I think everyone has a different after cross country schedule yeah and I feel like it's only now like two and a half years later that I have mine because I think like everyone's is different like you'll have some people who will ice them 20 million times and you'll have some people who only ice them three times and you'll have some people then who'll get up at four o'clock in the morning and ice them again. And you'll have some people who don't do that. And I think it's all relative to the person and what they do and what they believe in. And it's all relative to the horse you're dealing with on the day as well. Mm. You know, some people, obviously, some horses are exceptionally sound and have exceptionally good legs. And you're very lucky that they might, like, they hope, like, nine times out of ten, you're lucky that they won't need too much icing or too much aftercare, we'll say. But mm. then, unfortunately, like, some horses get a bit feely after cross country and you know you have to put a bit of extra time into them after cross country and make sure that they're comfortable so it's just getting to know your routine so it's my least favorite part but it's the part that I feel like I've improved personally on the most because I feel like my routine for it now is better if that makes sense but it does take a while to, I suppose, like with the amount of horses that you're dealing with, it does take a while for you to get that routine um, to, 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 see, to see what works and what doesn't work. But also, I suppose, what works for, for Brian and Chris, like we were saying before, that it's, that it's a team effort, you know what I mean? And you're trying yeah. to make sure you're incorporating all the opinions and, I suppose, the, the, what suits the horse as well. So it does, like it is, it is definitely an intense, phase and I think it, it, it's a, a position I don't envy a lot um, because of how <laughs> stressful it can be but I mean like hats off to all the eventing grooms that, that, that has to deal with with it because it's not only that it's after the icing or the, you know on the Saturday night or whatever that it, it's not like you're going to have a peaceful night's sleep because you still have to wake up no. Sunday morning praying that they'll still be sound yeah absolutely and, like, I've been very lucky that Touchwood, I've always been, like, I've always been very lucky that they've always been sound. You know, I we've been very lucky as regards not having that many injuries. Like, you know, it happened, obviously, horses get little knocks and bumps here and there, but we've been very lucky to not have big injuries. Mm. And I think that comes down to, obviously, your management from the rider on course and you know, not galloping the horse into the ground, basically, if it's not going to cope with it. It's down yeah. to your preparation for the event and how you prepare their legs and prepare their body and have their fitness up and all these things 
that have to be all together on the same day for those 10 minutes for your horse to come back well. Mm. Because, like, if you don't have your horse fit enough or if their legs aren't conditioned well enough, then you're going to have injuries. And I know, look, you can have everything right and still have an injury, but you want to give yourself the best possible chance not to. Mm. And then, obviously, as a groom, it makes your life easier if your horse comes out and trots sound, basically. (laughs) Because, unfortunately, then you have to go into, well, what is wrong with us? (laughs) (laughs) A whole new rabbit hole. (laughs) We're very lucky with the team of vets that we have. Like, we have Hank Offerings from his Dutch guy, which I'm sure most people, to be honest, in Ireland know. There's Marcus Swale as the team vet who's extremely knowledgeable and very good. Hmm. At home, we have a, like we have a number of vets from home, but the uh, the practice is Blackwater and Mallow, and they're second to none. They do all of our general vet work, and like we just have a very good team, and farriers and all the rest of it. Like we have two farriers and. We're very, very lucky with the whole team that we have outside of just your yard staff, you know, like, because, again, it goes beyond that as well because you need your farriers and grooms and physios and blah, blah, blah. So I think we're very lucky, again, that everyone is very much on the same page. Everyone is wanting the horses to get to the same level. Everyone wants to keep them at the same level and the general longevity of the horses. Because nobody, like everyone wants to retire their horses sound. Nobody wants their horses to go lame, obviously. So, yeah. you know, you want everyone to be on the same page with your horses. And we're very lucky that all of our people are. Oh, it really, it really, it really does take an army, doesn't it? And when you have, when you have a good army, it just makes everything so worthwhile, doesn't it? Absolutely. Like, you can't do it alone. Like, there's no person... There's no singular rider or groom or physio or farrier. Or There's no single person could stand there watching a horse do well at a championship and say, I did that. You didn't. You know, your rider rode the test and rode the cross country and rode the jumping and the whatever. They rode that. But I had the horse ready the whole time and the vets had them fit, like the vets had them well enough and the people at home had them fit enough and fed well enough and the people who got them there traveled them well enough and it's so much more than what happens on that Sunday morning in the show jumping because there's so many more people behind it and I know everyone would say like oh and thanks to my scenes but I'm like there's a lot more behind the scenes than just your groom as well you know there's a, yeah. there's a lot more people than just your grooms and like yes it's nice to be appreciated obviously as your groom but there's a lot more people than just me behind the scenes. And there's a lot more people that I appreciate who make my job easier as well, because they're the people that I bounce my ideas off of when I want to talk about something, you know? I love, I I absolutely love how considerate you are of, of, of everyone on the team. And I think it's just, you, you're literally like a, a ray of sunshine with, with that, you know? (laughs) That no, appreciation. No, but like it, it is that appreciation for for everybody else on the team. You know what I mean? And you know, yeah. Chris and and Brian are so so huge. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I feel like 
I'm lucky to have the job that I have too. It goes both ways. Like, okay, people will say they're lucky to have me, but I feel like I'm lucky to have them too because we get on so well and we're not, it's not just like, yes, obviously we have a very good working relationship, but like I see them as friends. We get on so well. Like I said, we would drink together. We would go out together. They're friends as well. And I feel like if I was ever to not work for them, I would still be friends with them. Yeah. Like, and I'm very, I'm very lucky to have that kind of situation with them because not, again, not everyone has that. And I'm very lucky that I do. And there's very much a mutual respect that I have for them what they do and they have the same respect for what I do. Which, again, unfortunately, for don't have that from who they work for. It often is no respect for your groom, you know, like, no, I think it is better these days, obviously, than it used to be. Like, there's definitely a much better feeling towards grooms these days. But there still is a bit of a, like, oh, sure, you're only the groom kind of thing. And yeah. I'm like, you're only the groom, but you're only the person who's making sure the horse is alive and well. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I'm very lucky yeah. that the boys have a massive respect for me the same way that I do for them. And we can all bounce ideas off each other and, like, they will ask me my opinion on a lot of things and I would ask them their opinion on things and it just as you say there's a lot of flow and the same goes for the yard like we have another four-star rider on the yard um Dan Alderson he's an English guy who again we all bounce ideas off each other like Brian and him will talk about, him about his horses and if he has an opinion on one of my horses then we'll talk about it and Caroline the manager is the same and Izzy's there and there's Ella and Amanda and Siobhan and there's so many people who all are responsible for getting these horses to the level they're at. It's not just me, you know? So I'm like, that's why my appreciation goes to them too. And like, why I feel like they need to be mentioned because, okay, I'm the one here speaking about my experience and my grooming, but I'm like, but they all have their experience too. And they have their, you know, everyone has their shit basically. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But everyone has their reasons for what they do. And I'm massively appreciative to all of them for what they do to get us to a big show or to hopefully get us to Tokyo and hopefully do well because you want to do well for them as well you know and yeah. like one of the horses who's shortlisted or longlisted or whichever one it is um, the, his owner um, Marie is the nicest person like she puts total faith in our ability and what we can do for the horse and what we'll do with him and that means a lot too because with us usually the like the global owns the horses you know it's the business owns the horses or like brian and chris mm -hmm. own the horses but we actually have very few owners so marie okay. basically is one of our only owners and she owns the global mentor horse and she literally does not interfere at all there is we tell her where he's going and she'll meet us there kind of a thing and she's perfectly happy for it to be like that yeah. And again, like a lot of riders have to deal with a lot of things from owners because a lot of owners do have opinions on things and that's normal, like when it's your horse. But it can make it a little bit difficult for riders when they want to go to certain places and, you know, the owner might want the horse to run there or the owner can't make it so doesn't want it to run. We're very mm -hmm. lucky that we can basically, we have full control of what he does and where he goes and everything. And that makes a huge difference too. You know, you have to be appreciative for your owners believing in you and what you can do for them and their horse. 
yeah 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 there, there, there's definitely there's a lot of value in that and you know there's obviously pros and, and cons of, of of having owners but i suppose i imagine one of the stressors that you don't have is that stress of you know like that having to um if the if if all opinions on, on horses, you know what I mean? And how yeah. I can't imagine how much stress that would bring on for 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 um for a rider, you know what I mean? And it's definitely an area definitely, I would yeah. love to I would love to explore a little bit more because um I think it is something that riders do have to deal with. And on stressors of, you know, keeping horses sound and all of all of those other things you know i imagine keeping owners happy is definitely something that i think could be talked about a lot more would you agree oh definitely i think again i i've been very lucky with all the places i've worked that the owners have been lovely lovely people i've gotten on with all of them the riders all get on with them but that isn't the case for some people like there are owners who can be difficult like let's not shy away from it they can be difficult to deal with and riders deal with it because, you know, they feel like the horses are talented or because they feel like they can get the horse to the next level. But I do think that as an owner, you have to know basically when to sit back and let mm-hmm. your rider decide because your rider is the person who knows the horse better than you do. You mm-hmm. like, as, and I think it goes a little bit as well with a lot of owners have homebred horses and they feel like when they're homebred that they're very attached to them, which is obviously normal. I fully understand that. Mm. But when you pass the reins over to a rider and you want to get it to a level competing, like, yes, you bred it and yes, it's your pet as such, but that rider is the person who's either going to get it there or not. And if yeah. it could be the difference to getting it there could be whether or not you let it to go to a certain amount of shows or not. Yeah. You know, or, you let it run in this show or letting it run at that show. I don't think owners need to have an input into where the horses go unless they feel like obviously the horse is being overrun or overused. That's obviously a different issue. But I think for 90% or 99% of professional four and five star riders, they know what is necessary to get the horse to the level it needs to be at. And I think then you should probably just sit back and let them do what they're doing because like I said I see it with us with Marie with Albie is the horse's name we are allowed have full control of him and I think if you had an owner who were to intervene more you know you mightn't get to the same level maybe not like as quickly or it might take longer or, you know there could just be other factors that wouldn't let you get there basically you know yeah. like getting a horse to four-star eventing or five-star eventing or like, you know, any high level or any championship is no easy task. And you need to know that your owner is on your side and believes in what you're doing. Because if they're going to be questioning what you're doing, then maybe you're starting to question yourself a little bit. And I think yeah. if you're at that, at that level as a rider, you're at that level because you know your shit. Like, you know, you're not there yeah. because you're not there by accident <laughs> like yeah you know so i think like producing horses to the four star level is already difficult enough without having owners putting in unnecessary input like i'm all for owners giving their input if it's helpful but if your input isn't helpful then you know you either kind of pipe down 
or you move the horse to another rider. Like if you're not willing to go with a particular rider system, then you should move the horse. Yeah. Oh, I, I, like I, I, I would... say, like there's, there's so many people at that level, again, who have different routines and different things. And yeah, not every rider's routine is going to work for every person or for every horse. So like it's all down, I suppose, then from the owner's point of view to finding somebody who works for you as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I, I, I agree, and it's definitely, it's definitely something that I, I, I'm very interested in, and, and, and how do I deal with it? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But what advice would you have for anybody that has an interest in grooming and want to work their way off to to be a professional groom what would be your, your your kind of top tips taken from the experience that you've had and also from you know all the places that you've been um i think that is my top tip to go to as many places as you possibly can you know and i think it goes for again everybody in the horse industry like whether you're riding or grooming or you want to do breeding or whatever it is you want to do See as many places as you possibly can. Work for as many people as you possibly can. If you're a rider, ride as many horses as you possibly can. If you're a groom, you take every single opportunity you can to go to the smallest show because those small shows are what prepares you to go to a big show. You know, you can't just... I think there's, again, there's, like I said to you about wanting it so bad, like there is definitely a lack of want from people these days Certainly to go grooming, I think, because basically, like, people prefer to ride, I suppose, or I don't know what people think, really. But there definitely isn't the same want for people to go grooming. And I think it is a shame because I'm like, okay, yes, there are, of course, there are downsides to it, like there are with every job. But I've met some of my best friends and I've had some of the best experiences of my life at shows. And I've gotten to travel to some of the nicest countries in the world and I've met just so many good people that I'm like, I would never have been able to do this if I wasn't doing what I was doing. If I wasn't grooming or in the horse industry, I would never have met half of the people I know. Even talking to you now, like I would never be in contact with you if I wasn't into horses. You know, this would never happen if I wasn't into horses. Like I'm from a town, I'm total towny person, like nothing to do with the country at all. None of my family ever rode. I'm the only one who had any interest in it. And I'm like, I feel like if I, not so much if I can do it, it's not that I was like raised in the Bronx or anything, but, you know, if you have the want to do it, you'll make it happen. Yeah. Because all you need to have is the want to do it. You have to want to learn and be willing to take on everybody's criticisms because you're going to get a lot of it. When you're not good at things, you're going to get a lot of criticism. But you have to be able to take that and learn from it and do better the next time. And that, like, it's, you know, it goes for anything in life, obviously. Like, you have to be able to take criticism and do better the next time. But I think definitely with grooming, because obviously you are responsible for a living thing that can't speak for itself, you mm-hmm. have to know that you're doing it well. And that only, you're only going to do that from learning. And I'm like, I am more than willing, if anybody, like, comes off the back of this and wants to talk to me or, you know, wants to get in contact about anything regarding grooming or anything regarding kind of my experience with it or how I got into it or got out, like, you know, any of these kind of things. I'm more than willing to help anybody who wants to know. Because, again, there isn't enough 
resources to talk to. There isn't enough people to talk to. Like there is no, I think actually something that I was wanted to talk about as well with you was about having like some kind of qualification that could be done through a college course for specifically competition grooming because obviously there's PLC courses in Ireland that are equine courses that you can do and you know there's physiology and there's the skeletal system and there's nutrition and all these things on them but there's no specific module for competition grooming and I think that actually should be something that is taught because like learning to plat not everyone has the or like you know not everyone's going to have a horse that they can just constantly plat to get better basically yeah the only reason or the only way you're going you're the only way you get better at plating and quarter marking and doing tails and french plating tails and doing forelocks and trimming and clipping and all these turnout things especially the only way you get better is by doing it there's Mm. no book you can read that's going to prepare you to be able to do it the same as riding like there's no amount of reading could help you ride basically yeah yeah and i think um within terms of like that um the the qualifications or of course not only from like the platting side of things and the turnout i think from um what we were talking about earlier in terms of like um groom groom mental health um support but also the um side of you know icing horses down you know taking heart rates taking the pulse and just those little things that i think like you were saying with with your first cross-country experience where you were saying what is happening you know yeah had had there been a course maybe that might have prepared you or you know it might have the transition might have been a little bit easier do you know what I mean and I do think that's a very valid point that 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 you make that I think qualifications is definitely something that needs to be for competition grooming in particular but in terms of like how to you know travel a horse safely from country to country for three days you know how often should you stop the importance of keeping the head down all of those things that you can set off on a three-day journey thinking, right, you know what, I've covered as much as I can, I will learn a lot more on the way, but you have a little bit of peace of mind? Yeah, I definitely, I think it can be very nerve-wracking, like, again, my first couple of times, obviously, traveling horses, like, overseas, of course it's nerve-wracking, and even if you know what you're doing, it's still nerve-wracking, because you're moving (laughs) a lot of money worth of horse (laughs) that you're responsible for, through different countries and it's nerve-wracking no matter what you're doing you know like I think if you had definitely like the first time you were to do these kind of things if there was some way of having some just some bit of education about it because like I suppose for people in horses it can become second nature you know like as you say getting their heads down and how often should you stop and how often should they drink and all these things they become second nature to you, but they're not for everybody. Yeah. You know, the, per- the person who is an amateur kind of person who, you know, might be traveling their horse for the first time long distance, and they might not know how often they should stop or how often they should check their heart rate or how often they should check their temperature or all these things. Because obviously when you're moving them through different countries, you're often moving them from like Ireland to England to France, across to Spain, into Portugal the temperature changes a lot and yeah. your rugging, you're rugging even while traveling is a very big thing because obviously that's sometimes can be the difference between a horse picking up a cold on the way or getting sick on the mm. way or getting sick on the way home or 
you know, like on the boat, the biggest thing I found the first I put horses on the boat was you can put them on the boat in the middle of the night in the freezing cold, but when you take them off, they're absolutely sweating because the boat gets so warm because obviously Mm -hmm. they're moving around. It's not always the easiest travel for them if the boat is a bit rough. And of course, they're panicky animals. That's what they do. They literally live to panic. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, they're going to, you know, they're going to sweat and all these kind of things. Be prepared to do that. You have to know. And the same goes for like giving water. You know, you need to know how often they should be drinking, how much they should be drinking, what's normal for the particular horse, what isn't normal. All of those things are things that could be learned. As I said to you, like platting and turnout, you just have to keep practicing. But there are things that you can actually learn how to do by showing you, like how often you should do those things can definitely be learned. And I know it would only be a guideline because obviously it changes per horse per horse, from horse to horse, but it at least is a guideline for people. Yeah, yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, I do think that, um, I think from this conversation alone, I think, you know, there's there's so many things now that we we've spoken about that hopefully is the first step to making the groom's lives, I suppose, a little bit easier. And I will definitely leave um kind of any like social handles or anything for people to get in contact with you if if they yeah. want to reach out to you. And just to kind of finish off, what would be some of your top grooming tips? Come on now, John, fill us in. <laughs> top grooming tips um, lo- use lots of gel when you're plaiting <laughs> um, keep all those hairs together <laughs> um, clipping to be honest clipping tips I don't really have any clipping tips I feel like clipping is something you just need to take your time doing and eventually like that with practice you get quicker but while being neat like I would rather hours to clip a horse and did it well then did it in 45 minutes and it looked shit. You know, I'm that yeah. kind of person. I would rather take all day doing it, knowing it would look well, than, you know, do an old quick job. And people, these people who are like, oh, but it'll grow back in. I'm like, yeah, but it looks shit now. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I don't, like, I actually don't have a whole lot of tips. I know people come to me some days, they're like, oh, can you show me how to quartermark? And I'm like, I actually do quartermark the wrong way around. I do them from the bottom up, which is technically wrong. <laughs> But that's just how I do them. So I'm like, I don't know if I should be showing people how to do it. <laughs> um, I can't pull a tail. I've never learned. I have no idea how to. So I clip them. So I don't know. A lot of people don't like clipping tails, but it's something I do. Because I think pulling, first of all, hurts them in their tail because obviously they can feel it. So I'm like, I'm not wholly there for it. <laughs> and I'm not really wanting to get a belt of a kick just to pull a tail. So I'm all for clipping tails. Um, I was a big one for clipping whiskers. I know that's a big no-no these days, and it actually bothers me a little bit that I can't do it. But at the same time, I understand why we leave them now. <laughs> um, and the same for clipping out ears. Like it kills me that I can't clip out ears anymore. But I know again, it's there is a reason for us. <laughs> yeah. I think they're just like they're groomed things that you're like you know you shouldn't do it, but it looks messy and you want it gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 But as it has obviously has functionality for them and clearly their welfare is more important than what it looks like. So, yeah, those are my tips. Yeah, my biggest tip is just to use platting gel. (laughs) That's my biggest tip. (laughs) And if you're using bands, silicone platting bands, don't use rubber bands. 
silicone bands, flat ones. They're the only bands to flat with. Oh, that's a really good tip. I really like that yeah. one. I can't use rubber bands. Rubber bands roll off, and I just think they're stupid. They make no sense. They break easier also. And <laughs> I can't flat with threads, so I've never, I don't have no any experience on that. <laughs> Right, so to finish off, Dan, what would have to be your most favourite event or venue that you've ever groomed for? Um, I think show jumping-wise would have to be Palm Beach, the Equestrian Centre Palm Beach. Like, it's a world of its own. Like, there's literally on the side, like on the footpaths, there's crosses just for horses. So there's, like, horse height buttons to press for the traffic lights to cross the road. <laughs> like, it's oh my god it's such a just it's a different situation you know like when you think of kind of horse countries like there's no place better equipped for a show than wellington like it's just and it's just such a nice place like the place is beautiful the weather is nine times out of ten like i was lucky enough to be there are very nice people who i got on really well with so we had a lot of fun while i was there it's some place that I need to go back to. Like, I have never been lucky enough to get back there. And I need to get back, even just for a visit during one of the shows, yeah. I need to get back there. Because it was just such a nice time. And I made such good friends there. And being we Blenheim in England, I think I love castles. I have this weird thing about castles. <laughs> and, like, Blenheim Castle is, like, the most stunning building. And it's the most stunning estate and the area is just out of this world. Like, it's absolutely beautiful. The event itself is so, so nice. You go to a rider's party in the castle, like in the house, we'll say. And again, like those aren't normal things you get to do in everyday life. <laughs> like um, Getting dressed up to go into one of these palaces really is kind of outrageous, really, when you think about it. Um, the event is so nice. I'm actually, it was actually cancelled last year and they thought they weren't going to run it again, but it actually is back again. There was a, a new crowd are going to run it, so it's back again for this year, so I'm actually really buzzed for that. Um, Such a nice place. Such a nice show. Love that. Love that. Oh, Dan, I have thoroughly enjoyed um this episode and I think that you are a wealth of knowledge and I think that we've touched on some really, really important subjects and I hope to have you back on again for for an episode or two, um, you know, talking about different experiences. But I want to say a massive thank you for your time. Um, you've given me so much of your time and your knowledge and, yeah, for anyone that wants to get in contact with you, I will definitely leave your social media handles down below and yeah thank you so much for your time thank you for giving me a place to talk about all my feelings <laughs> um no it's been really really nice to touch on things that like i said i feel need to be spoken about in the world because everyone can sometimes live under a veil of it's all beautiful all the time and sometimes it's not and i think that's that needs to be spoken about too and as much good as there is, there's a bit of bad goes with it too. So I think that people need to know all sides of the job. You know, it's not just going to pretty shows all the time with pretty ponies. Sometimes yeah. it's not just that. But at the same time, like I said, it's what I love doing. It's what I've spent my life doing. And it's what I see myself doing 
for at least the immediate future. So I have no uh, I have no plans on changing that just yet. Oh, and I wish you the every ounce of success um, for for all the championships and big events that are coming up. And yeah, thank you so much. Welcome back to the Inside Wayne podcast and thank you so much for joining me. Today's episode is super exciting and it is with the amazing Sarah Jane Doyle from County Wexford. Sarah Jane is fast making a name for herself as Ireland's go-to mindset and performance coach. She works with riders from grassroots to high performance level to help them make the changes that they need in their lives in order to achieve their equestrian dreams. 